John Brodigan, but you were close. John Brodigan, sorry. Yeah, John, Josh, one way or the other. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember hearing that on, on there. But that is some uh, – that's some, it was the first time I ever heard it in my entire life. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, we are not uh, – all right, by the way, you are now in the queue twice. What do you want me to do here? I think I know what he wants me to do now. He wants me to unmute him. That's what he wants. Hello. Jesse. <laughs> well, we're waiting for Jesse to, I don't know, uh, make a sound of some sort. Jesse, you are unmuted. I'm not sure what the issue here is. And then mute you and then unmute you again. Hopefully that works. In the meantime, I'm going to read a special message from Sean here who tells me, Otters, donkeys, eagle taxis, you really make Christmas a magical time. Shit, that reminds me. Melissa, yeah. sometime between now and Christmas, we have to sit down and make Lily watch the uh, Emmett Otters Chris, uh, Jug Band Christmas. Yes, we do. You're right. We have been derelict. You watched it last year. Yeah, I know, but this is a new year, and we have to do it every year. Okay. All right. <laughs> Anywho. Um... Well, we're waiting for Jesse to dial back in here. Let me tell you what we're actually talking about tonight. No, you're not talking about me forcing my child to watch my, you know, my all-time favorite Christmas shows. Which, by the way, um, since I can't stay on topic tonight like an ADD child, uh, I did make Lily sit down and watch one of my other Yuletide favorites, a Yogi's First Christmas. Oh yes, Yogi's First Christmas. Uh, maybe some of you out there might remember a bear who had a fondness for the picnic basket and his pal Boo-Boo, Yogi Bear. Uh, well, Yogi Bear and his pal Boo-Boo would normally hibernate through the winter, which means that uh, Yogi Bear never never got to celebrate Christmas, and neither does Cindy Bear while we're, while we're talking about it. So what ends up happening is that through the course of drum music, they wake Yogi up, and Yogi smells the Christmas goodies. And Yogi then uh, goes into the lodge, and they can, and everyone convinces him to stay up. You know, Snaggletooth and Huckleberry Hound. Jesse, you getting all this? I hear you. Good. Um, no, no one ever said I couldn't vamp. Uh, but yeah, Huckleberry Hound and Snagglepuss. Uh, they they convince Yogi and Boo Boo to stay up and celebrate Christmas. And so this is Yogi Bear's first Christmas. And then subsequently they wake up Cindy Bear. And Cindy Bear, uh, like a tramp, uh, spends the entire rest of the special trying to get Yogi to kiss her under the mistletoe. Meanwhile, uh, the woman who owns the lodge keeps giving him more jobs to do, and he ain't got time for to make it out. You understand what I'm trying to tell you, Jesse? The bear was too busy. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. So just. So so I watched. I made Lily while we were trimming the Christmas tree, the Rattledge Christmas tree. Uh, watch Yogi's first Christmas, and let me tell you, she was as into it as you would expect any almost four-year-old girl in 2014 to be. You know what I'm talking about, Jesse. You ever get That'd your kids to try to sit down and watch and, and watch something from when you from when you were a child, and the kid just looks at you and says, "Up yours." All the time, all the time, or they leave the room, which has happened to me. About three or four times so far this Christmas season, I'm like, "Come on, sit down and watch this wonderful Christmas movie with me." And then the kids just walk out. And matter of fact, hold on, we got one coming right now. What, Caleb? What's 
It's in Mommy's room. <laughs> Emergency. He's looking for his uh, iPod. So, okay. Anyway, yeah, they walk straight out, man. As a matter of fact, we talked about this a couple podcasts ago with uh, uh, me and a couple boys from Screaming Boy. Um, we're talking about the same thing. It's it's unfortunate that our kids just they don't they don't enjoy it like we used to, and I, I have no idea why. Yeah, I I don't know. It doesn't move fast enough fast enough for him, I guess. The plot the plot you must understand, Mister Jesse Starcher, was too thick in Yogi's first Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Yogi. That's very Too thick. Thing, my wife knows. <laughs> we, were out we were out shopping the week before. We will get to Gremlins. I swear to fucking God, we're going to get to Gremlins. I promise. But uh, <laughs> as anyone who has heard Jesse and I get together, we don't. We we never we never quite start where we're supposed to or end where we're supposed to. No. Um, we are we are wizards. We 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 arrive when we mean to. In any case, um, what had preceded the whole. Yogi's first Christmas thing was we were out shopping, I think, for Christmas presents, and I just kept belting out, Merry Christmas, Yogi! <laughs> I was like, what are you babbling about? <laughs> and so they're dancing around Yogi, and, you know, they think it's your first Yuletide Christmas, Yogi Bear, a very happy Yule, Merry Christmas, Yogi! And then they go to commercial. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, that would have been interesting. That would have been very interesting to be around you at that point in time there, just to, just to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a I, – you would think I had Tourette's. Um, it was very <laughs> nasty having helping things out for no good reason. Um, while I was at work today, I was thinking only the first line of icy fire. So oh, nice. over and over again, people kept hearing me mumble, uh, uh, oh, misty eye of the mountain below. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people are wondering, man. People are wondering about you. I guarantee it. Actually, want to hear a fun story? Please. All right. So I work with this really hot broad, right? All right. And uh, she's actually like a nursing supervisor. And I was telling my wife, I said, you know, you'll 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 never have to worry about me uh, me you know having wandering eyes or anything because. Regardless of the fact that you know I might work around somebody who's who's very pretty, and she is, she's a very pretty woman. Um, once you get to know them as people and their personalities, she's the kind of person who just never like stops complaining. <laughs> like I actually said to her the other day, I was just like, "So, what's got you in a snit today?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that and, go over? And, uh, she she laughed, um, but she's she, she's one of these. I don't know if you if you experience this at your own job, but she's one of these people who like she's so pretty, and we we work in we work around law enforcement, and and these are fairly concrete people. Not that's not a bad thing. You kind of kind of have to be in law enforcement. There's no not a whole lot of time for joking around, yeah. but they just kind of follow her wherever she goes. And in, and whenever there's not a lot of work to do, there's just a swarm of detention officers. And um, and deputies just surrounding her like uh, like flies on shit, quite frankly, because she's pretty, and so they all want to want to be near her. And I was telling my wife about that, you know, how you kind of thought it was funny to watch from afar. Um, and I said, you know, I said you'll, you'll you'll never have to worry about me, you know, and someone like that because 
they're just aside from the constant complaining, they're just also way too high maintenance. And you know, and like my wife is not is my best friend on top of everything else, but there's a there's a comfort level that I'll never find with anybody else than than, than her. So it doesn't matter like how pretty this woman is. She's kind, it's kind of like admiring art. You know, it's just like oh look, that's very nice on the wall where it belongs, and now I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. So I, I told her all of this. So she goes to work the next day, today, and apparently she told this to her coworker. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 whoa, wait. You told her, or you're talking about you told your wife this, or correct? Yeah. Or you're talking about, okay, all right. I want to make sure you want to tell the, the hot broad this, because, well, that would have been an interesting I've gotten to that Oh, crap. I gotten... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're ahead of me, sir. All right, so, sir. So my wife uh, repeats this story to one of her coworkers in Small World, as it turns, so she sends me a text message, she's like, and literally, this is the text message back to me. Who's the hot blonde nurse you work with? What's her name? Oh, no. Give her the name. Turns out my wife's, like, buddy at work, like, her best friend at work went to school with this nurse. And so I said to her, um, you know, for, for the purposes of this podcast, we will call her Snitty. Hey, Snitty nurse, um, yeah, do you remember, uh, do you know XYZ? And I show her a picture of her from Facebook, and she's like, ah, oh, she looks vaguely familiar. And she was like, so, and she was like, so what, what, what's the background on this? And I was like, ah, oh, I was telling my wife a story about you. And, uh, and then she mentioned it to a friend of hers, and it turns out you guys know each other. Small world. Tampa, Tampa you know, there's, there's 20 people who live in Tampa, and they all know each other. Mm-hmm. So it is. And she was just like, oh, what were you calling me, a bitch? Oh. <laughs> uh, you ever have one of those moments where, like, you just kind of pull on your collar a la Jon Stewart, you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> Yeesh. <laughs> yeah, oh, ooh. So I'm like, no, it was absolutely complimentary. Now I'm back in the corner because i got to, like, tell her something. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know what? And and she had just gotten done got done telling a story about how uh, one of the deputies, she told she told this one deputy, that the lesbian EMT that works there has a better chance with her than he does because oh. he's a creepster. Oh, jeez. that was in front of, like, his corporal and several other deputies. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Dang. So, so I figured that's my in. I'll, 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 I'll take a bullet on this one. I'll jump on the hand grenade and go, here, let me, let me, this will probably creep you out even more. And she was like, <laughs> okay. So I, so I showed her the text message Okay. that my wife sent me that called her, like, the hot blonde I work with. Oh, and no. And her reaction, no, her reaction was, like, way positive. She was just like, <gasps> she was like, she laughed. She's like, oh, that's funny. She's like, yeah, I'm the hot blonde. And she, she kind of, like, goofed on herself. <sighs> Awkward. We'll just put it that Awkward. way. Well, I'd hate to, I would hate Hated to be in that situation. I can't believe you showed the text message. Number one, I would have. Uh, I would. Many other men would have folded and probably went another route and told one big ass complete lie, which uh, that probably would have been me. Uh, but, yeah. So okay, so she's totally. She's totally now. Is she? Is she aware of the fact that all these guys are following her now, or that they're all swarming around her? I mean, I think the Washington Post, you know, said. That the, that, that the truth is in the science, and the science is girls are smarter than guys. So if she's not aware that they're all swarming around her because she's pretty and, you know, and, and 
Well, I, I just I can't imagine she doesn't know that. First off, I, I look at the profession that you're talking about here, and finding a a, a gorgeous or a, a beautiful woman in that type of profession has got to be pretty tough. Now, again, I I don't I, I have an idea of the the kind of the work environment that you're in. The way I picture it is a bunch of cells and doors and uh, not a whole lot of. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't see a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, other yeah, than a bunch we, of men. Okay, in that profession. Yeah. So. Well, listen, well, I mean, look. There's plenty of pretty women in nursing. Okay. That whether those nurses tend to gravitate towards um, correctional medicine, um, you know, I, it's hard to say. Have I met some pretty nurses in a correctional setting? Absolutely. Have I met some that look like they ran? You know, that they that they. Uh, Escape from an orc pack in Mordor, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think, <laughs> but I think you're going to find that in any cross section of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, if you're implying though that that you know that there's that there's a um, a lack of of prettiness in a in a correctional setting, I, I would yeah, tell you I, that I, that's I, also true. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, that's that's the angle I was going. I would figure that. And I would figure to be somebody that, you know, that looks either handsome or beautiful, actually, <laughs> is probably uh, uh, going to be followed either around by the employees or the uh, the ones in the facility itself by uh, not their own choice. But uh, <laughs> now, <sighs> that's a very strange story to open up. Well, no, i, I got to get to the end of now. Oh, wait, so, okay, so we haven't hit the end. All right. Okay. Yeah. So this is the, so this is the pun, like the whole punchline of the story. So and again, I, I told my wife all of this as well. That's her, everyone. Hello, hello Clutsy. Hello. <laughs> everyone say hello to Melissa. Hello. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, so we get past the whole like creepy thing, and she she actually was like a somewhat flattered, I guess would be the the, the most appropriate word. And then um, she and I said she's like no, she's like that didn't creep me out at all. As a matter of fact. You have to. I was like, I don't get creeped out that easily, which tells me that this deputy has been sniffing her butt now for a long time and getting nowhere. <laughs> but more to the point, she starts giving examples of ways that could be creepy that would bother her. And I started to listen to that, and I'm just like, first of all, I'm a happily married man. Second of all, all of that stuff takes way too much energy, and I ain't that got that kind of time. Like, I'm just too lazy to be a stalker. Is the point I'm trying to get at here. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I am there. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't have like a hardcore crush on somebody. That takes up way too much time and energy. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're a married, when you're a married man, you you devote, you devote. So not not only are you married, you do have kids. So yeah, you, you know the only the only outlet you got is the internet. Unfortunately, that's that's about as far as it's going to go, my friend. <laughs> I'm just listening. Sean, uh, for those playing the home game, uh, Sean Comer, uh, Sean, oof, Jesus, um, Sean, yes, Comer is going to be calling in a little bit later to talk about some of the things going on with the Rattle and Broadcasting Network, and just wanting to say hello at the end of the show. And in the meantime, he's sending us text messages on Facebook. And he's like, can't wait to see other segues into Joe Dante, Phoebe Kate, Zach Galligan, and two horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I did not forget your name, son, sir. You son of a bitch! <laughs> so anyway, Gremlins. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 19- Steven Spielberg brings you a, uh, a 1984's horror comedy about uh, a, a, a little uh, Chinese uh, furball who spawns into these destructive monsters. And this is, of course, set against a holiday background. It's Christmas time in Kingston Falls. Uh, and the setup to the movie is that uh, this is a present for uh, an inventor's son. Um, so um, I guess that, that brings me to my first question for you is, you know, I, always like to, I always like to hear from people, you know, like what brought them to a movie, this, that, and the other thing. Um, when did you first see Gremlins? Did you see it as a kid uh, in 1984, or did you come to it later? No, uh, it was. I'm sure it was later. Uh, I can't remember. I definitely didn't. Don't remember going to see this in the theaters or anything like that. But this was a, a movie. My the earliest memory that I have of it is watching it with my dad. Um, my dad loves any type of like action slash sci-fi movie. Um, and I was pretty young. I think I was about uh, eight or nine uh, when we first watched this, when I first sat down and watched this with him. And, I mean, it, it was it, – it's one of those – you know, obviously it's a holiday movie, in, in my opinion, because I can remember watching this with him around the holidays. And uh, But, yeah, it was, it was with my dad. I, I, my, my dad has got to be one of the coolest guys when it comes to watching movies. He's – you know, he's in the, you know, he'd always want to watch The Predator with me or, um, you know, Alien. I can remember sitting there watching, uh, uh, I think it was Alien 3 um, with him. But we, anytime we could get a hold of a video from the, the VHS rental store, um, we would we would pop something in there and watch it usually on the weekends. I got to see my dad like every other weekend, but uh, and we that was one of the things we always got a chance to do. So Gremlins uh, sticks out in my mind as one of those fun movies that I got to sit down and watch with my dad. And, and uh, you know, as a kid, and, and, well, as a dad now, I wonder about, you know, this type of a movie for a kid. And it, I did all right with it when I was young. Um, granted, again, I was, only, I was like eight or nine, so maybe I could handle it pretty well. But uh, anyway, that's, that's, it's one of those fond holiday memories I have with my dad for sure. I don't remember exactly how I, I mean, I know I saw it around the time that it came out. I, I don't think like, we made it to the movies for it, but I definitely saw it um, on VHS. And uh, I, I loved the movie back then. I always, you know, as we all famously know, I'm not a huge fan of horror movies, but this was the right kind of horror for me. It was, uh, you know, it was essentially uh, a lot of black humor, you know, so you know, you would there would be things like, uh, you know, the gremlins driving the tractor or combine into the Murray home. There was a there was a you know slashing at people. I mean, really, really some violent elements of the first film. Oh yeah. Set against some really funny things. Um, so I, I remember, you know, and of course Gizmo was a, was a fun little invention, a fun little fictional character. Rewatching it. Um, let me go over the plot, and then we'll talk about whether or not it's held up over the past 30 years or so. Um, so the plot of this thing is that 
uh, our narrator is also the hero's father. Um, this is, of course, uh, Hoyt Action playing Randall Peltzer. And he's uh, Billy Peltzer's dad, Zach Galligan. Um, he's an inventor, and he goes into Chinatown to look to, to sell some inventions and look for a gift for his son. And he, uh, he hears the Mugwai singing, which, is, uh, which will be named Gizmo. And, yeah, the, the, the grandfather, the Chinese uh, owner of the store, won't sell because that's his pet and, you know, doesn't believe that, any, that anyone will really truly take care of it the way that it's supposed to. Um, but the grandson, wanting the money, sells it to him behind his back. So, so he ends up calling, naming him Gizmo, and he takes it home, and he sells it to Billy. And I want to come back to the idea of how the fuck old is Billy supposed to be, but, uh, but we'll get to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Billy, uh, you know, takes, takes it home, and, you know, they're explaining the three rules, and, of course, the three rules are um, don't get it wet, don't feed it after midnight, and don't expose it to light. Okay? Bright light. Uh, so within within days of having this thing, they accidentally spill water on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and you know who who spilled it on him accidentally, right? Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and the, and they, the reason why you don't spill water on these things is that is how they procreate. And I was funny because my wife has never seen any of the Gremlin movies, and she just so she watched a little bit of Gremlins two tonight with me. And so, and she happened to walk in in a scene where he, where where Gizmo was spawning, and she was like, "What is happening in this?" I'm like, "Oh, that's how they multiply. Is they they um, they get wet and they, you know, little little bits of them spawn in the back." And she's like, "Are you know, so are they all evil?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> Gizmo is the pure one. What comes out of him is impure. It's like copies of a copy." Um, yeah. And so. The, the the lesser mugwai as, as as such desire to become gremlins and so they are destructive and they are looking for food and that's exactly what ends up happening is they trick Billy into feeding them after midnight they become gremlins uh, they start to tear the town apart and at one point uh, I believe it's the the leader Stripe ends up in a YMCA pool and he spawns and he spawns an army. Uh, and that army proceeds to start tearing apart the town. Uh, they blow up the gremlins in a movie theater, um, and then it comes down to like a showdown in a uh, in a sporting goods store between Billy and uh, and Stripe. And this is where uh, Gizmo, in one of the more iconic scenes of the movie, rides the Barbie car mm-hmm. <laughs> and saves and saves Billy from Stripe, who, who's trying to get at him with a chainsaw. And um, I think right at the end of the movie, he tries to he tries to spawn again in a fountain, and he is uh, undone by our true hero of this picture, Gizmo. And there's subplots in there about um, a woman who who resembles the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, while the movie well, Wizard of Oz is still black and white, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to kill Billy's dog. <laughs> the, the you know there's a subplot in that this is a poor family. Um, and that none of the inventions that the dad creates really work all that well, and all of that. But um, I want to uh, I want to I want to start with one of the really funny elements of this movie to me is that Billy is portrayed as like a little kid, except that he works in a bank. <laughs> yeah. And his and part of his character is that he's kind of having to shoulder this family 
um, you know, he, he's trying to have to carry this family on his shoulders, you know, while, while his dad chases, you know, chases down, you know, the dream of being this inventor. And I think, you know, the dad sort of trying to make up for it is to give him this really nice present. But like I said, the problem with Billy is, on the one hand, he is friends with Corey Feldman, who looks like he's 12 in this picture. <laughs> yeah. And, and Billy acts like he's a little kid a, a lot of times, but he can't be that young because he works in a bank. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy is clearly on the cusp of becoming an adult. Um, you know, still friends with his high school teacher. Uh, that's that that shows up in the uh, in the film where he takes the Mogwai to uh, his high school chemistry teacher. Um, so my guess is, you know, obviously it's he's just coming right out of high school, going in, he got, he got a job at the bank working as a teller. Um, now, one of the big underlying uh, themes of this movie is obviously Rand or Randall Peltzer, uh, Billy's dad, is trying to teach his kid some responsibility. Because um, that's that's the whole thing, you know. You you give your your kid a pet. You say, okay, look, you know, here's the rules. Um, although this this one comes with a few additional rules that no other pet has ever had in its entire life, as far as I know. Um, but you know, it, it's trying to teach Billy responsibility. Now, you think we got a little past that? You know, as, as old as Billy is, I'm guessing 18 years old, 19. Um, but let me just let me just go ahead and one of the one of the observations that I had uh right at the beginning of the movie, okay? Rand is there going he, he's there to he wants to buy that Mogwai. Now, if I was in Rand's shoes and the kid comes out to me and he says, you know, hey, here here's the Mogwai, I'll take the money, but hey, you've got three things you got to remember. It hate it hates bright lights. You don't get it wet. And don't feed it after midnight. As soon as I was told those three things, my lazy ass would have been like, you know what? <laughs> That's just a little too much responsibility, and I damn sure ain't gonna give my kid something like that. I have a hard enough try, hard enough time trying to keep a fish alive. Here's your damn mogwai <laughs> back. I <laughs> give me my money. I want to go buy something else. Um, I mean, there's no way I'm buying a freaking uh, something like that. Uh, it, just adding more responsibility think, on top of things. But I think, I think, incidentally, that tells you a lot about the Rand character is that he's a dreamer. He's a stargazer. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. not thinking about the consequences of what he's doing. You know, and that's that's a constant theme throughout this movie. You know, in a lot of ways, he, he, and and I've never I've never thought too deeply about Gremlins until I kind of had to sit down and watch it again. Um, for, for this podcast, where I wasn't planning to talk about the hot nurse I work with, so, <laughs> but but if you think about it, this is it's it's a rather bleak town. It's a very it's a small town, and mm-hmm. Billy is sort of is a very uh, picked on character. I mean, within the first when, when when we meet Billy, you know he his car doesn't work. It, it's 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 the typical nothing goes right for our hero kind of a thing. He's the poor schlub. You know mm-hmm. his car's broke. Um, he he he's in love with uh, uh, Phoebe Cates from afar, but doesn't quite have the the courage to uh, to do anything about it at first. You know, uh, Judge Reinhold is telling him like you gotta you, you know you gotta be an animal in order to get anywhere anywhere in this world. That sort of thing. You have this you have this old woman um, who I think is a realtor. Um, that's her association with the bank. 
you know, yeah. who wants to kill his dog. I mean, it's it, it's it's a um, it, it's a situation where there's not a lot of light in this city, and it's it's interesting that they chose to do it at Christmas time because you could you imagine what the what Kingston Falls would have been like had they not chosen what is supposed to be the happiest time of year. Yeah, you know, it's true. Um, yeah, and then and it's weird because the other thing about it is that it, on the one hand this is supposed to be like Americana. This is this is ye old small town. Uh, where everybody knows everybody, and these are supposed to be the greatest places to live, you know, the low crime and everything. You know, it's a lily-white community, and yet people are are, are unhappy. Um, and then the well, gremlins come and tear things tear things down, and it's like, oh, boy, just when you think things couldn't get any worse. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the, the whole Mrs. Deagle element of things um, was, she really put me in, took me back to, uh, it's a wonderful life. I mean, isn't that? Uh, doesn't the main character in that one struggle with the bank and and things like that? Well, this lady is, you know, the that per you know that that evil person has all the money and she seems to be con- uh, controlling. Uh, granted, she's not the main villain of this movie. We're we're talking a lot about her, but I mean, it, you you talk about the the way this town is and how bleak it is. I think a lot of the source of that was Mrs. Deagle, the way she was running things and 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 her attitude towards a lot of the people that she could get her own way. Um, but yeah, it, it is, a, it definitely is a small, it's, it's supposed to be that slice of Americana, just like you said, it's, and it, it, this is obviously a sign of the times in the eighties, uh, where, you know, it, it, things were getting rough for some people. Um, and, but you know, they, that, that right there, it, it's, it, it's a good setting uh, to me. Especially well, for I want, to, I want to hit upon that boring. point real quick because I want to hit upon that because you really I think you just really nailed something important about the setting of this movie, and that is you know the eighties is always looked upon as a time of plenty. That's that's that was on the surface. Mm-hmm. The Reagan era, and I'm not going to get political, but the Reagan <laughs> era was a sign of plenty for some, and it was almost a, an inflated plenty because as we know in the nineties. Uh, it, the bubble bursted, and, and we went into a recession, um, at least in the, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s. But uh, the 80s also saw the beginning of a huge disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And, yeah. you know, and, and so you see now, you, know, you, have a, you have a growing number of working poor uh, and poor-poor in, 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 in America. It started in the 80s. And so mm-hmm. I think that the difference between Billy Pelzer and the Pelzer family, and like the Judge Reinhold character, and the um, and the character of uh, uh, what is her name, the, what we were just, the character we were just talking about. Oh, Mrs. Deagle. Mrs. Deagle, yeah, Holly Holiday. Um, you know, is 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 really representative of that have and have not. And so the the Randall character really stands apart from all of that. You know, in the midst of all this dreariness and drudgery, you know, is a man that is... Uh, uh, did you ever see um, Saving Mrs. Banks? No, I have not. Okay. Um, without getting too too off track and too much into that, uh, the woman who would go on to create Mary Poppins, like her dad works in a bank and sort of, um, it, it sort of stands against the norms of his time, and, and, he, and him and his family will suffer for it. But, 
you know, th- those are the people who, when, when they have their resources and they have their opportunities, really bring us great, great and wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would make sense that he would believe that having, the, you know, handing a kid essentially an, a, you know, an ato- a furry atomic bomb is a good idea. Well, I, I honestly, my theory on this, I honestly think that Rand saw dollar signs as soon as he took the Mogwai home. I don't care if it looks like it's such a wonderful gift to your kid. The guy saw dollar signs. Now, granted, in, later on after they started multiplying, they, may, they lead you to believe that, oh, hey, you know, Rand's like, hey, look, we, we could turn this into some money or something. Um, but I, 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 my feeling is that as soon as he saw the Mogwai, he was he was going to take it home and figure out a way to make make money off of it. That's your sinister plan right there. And Rand is the villain of this movie. Okay, <laughs> an alternative point of view. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just kidding. I, I, Rand's a good guy. I'm just kidding. I think there's a there's a degree of guilt in the character, you know, for Billy having to pull the family along, and this is his way of assuaging that that guilt. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, let, let's actually talk about the Gremlins for the first time in this podcast. Hey, yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, they spawn. They mate. They spawn. They die. As Lard said, you know what Lard is. Lard is a band uh, featuring Jello Biafra and members of Ministry. But that's not what's important right now. Um, they, <laughs> One for the wider. They, they get fed up. They, they eat the fried chicken. They they cocoon. They uh, they they turn into Gremlins. And um, the first group, you know, group of them tear the city down. Well, what what are some of your thoughts on on the Gremlins? And and I'll tell you, eventually we're going to get to this. We're going to get to the second movie, a new batch, which 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 is really a completely different movie. It is oh, Gremlins yeah. in name only, uh, yeah. in that sense. But um, you know, some of the elements of these characters, and I kind of want your your reaction to it. There's a lot of giggling that's going on. They they have this menacing laugh to them, not like the Joker you know, or uh, sort of an evil clown kind of a thing. But, you know, just sort of a uh, an impish giggling that that, mm-hmm. that, that just permeates uh, their characters. You know, they, they speak in a guttural... Uh, I was doing it to my wife tonight. She was, walk, she was, you know, trying to get the kids to bed, and I'm running around the house going, Gizmo caca. Um, <laughs> Billy. Billy. Uh, you know, good stuff. Um, There's this really guttural language that they're using. Um, And they are one part malicious, one part uh, fun time frenzy. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know what they they remind me of? It it reminds me of somebody took the gremlin template, shaved it down, put some glasses on it, painted it a fun color yellow, and said minions. Ah. I could see that. Uh, yeah, okay. definitely. Same kind, same kind of thing, you know. It's you know the minions are running around doing their thing, and they you know and they're kind of you know bumbly and 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 they're making jokes and stuff like that. The gremlins were not too far away from what the minions are doing. It's true. You know, like they like a couple of them are doing terrible things and trying to murder people. The rest are like you know like they're playing cards. <laughs> they're having a good time. You know, I, my favorite gremlin in, in a, I'll let you react to this. My favorite gremlin is the one that's in Phoebe's bar, and he's like the jazz gremlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I, you know, these. It was so 
it was neat to see how they took, uh, you know, all these things spawning off these these somewhat evil creatures, and but they they gave them personalities. Um, you got the Flasher Gremlin there in the middle in that bar. You see so many of them in there. Uh, it, you got the Flasher Gremlin. You got the Mugger Gremlin that's trying that has wearing the ski mask and the Jazz Gremlin, just like you're talking about. Um, they they gave them personalities. To, you know, obviously trying to obviously make them a little more fun to 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 see uh, or to deal with on screen. But um, you know. One of the obviously the big bad villain uh, is Stripe, and is there nothing more menacing in the '80s than a mohawk? Uh, you know, <laughs> if you want to strike fear into into the hearts of children, you know, give don't make them all look green and scaly, but give them a mohawk too. Um, and sure. that, what's that? You said no, sure. I was agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. So the the um. You know it, that to, the gremlins to me are chaos incarnate. Uh, they're just out to have a good time and wreck the the world. Um, it, obviously, gremlins. If prior to this movie, gremlins were referenced in uh, in culture as the things that made mechanical uh, certain things break down. Pretty much, that's at least what I've heard of. You know, uh, and you, the word used prior to this movie. Uh, and I, I'm guessing, you know, what they had planned on doing was kind of giving a face and uh, bodies to that uh, that chaos. So that's that's kind of my take on it. You know, the the gremlins themselves, the way they look. Um, you talk. I I think it's some great practical effects for sure. Uh, this movie, I think, was uh, produced by Steven Spielberg. Uh, so I'm sure they had a good bit of money to do that, and they made it look they made the, they made the gremlins look great and believable still to this day. I mean, you asked about uh, you mentioned about how it holds up. Uh, I don't know if you thought it held up pretty decent, but I, I still think it holds up pretty good. There's obviously some parts of this movie that we will that I, I'll kind of gripe about a little bit here in a few, but um, but there, you know, as for the effects and stuff, I didn't think it was bad. Um, when you know when they show the movie in the theater of the Seven Dwarfs, that kind of rung a chord to me as to how they they looked at some of these gremlins, and it might, I felt like it might have been the inspiration because they got the you know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, each one of those dwarves they had a personality, and they gave some of those to some of the gremlins that we saw. Granted, the only one that really stood out was obviously Stripe. Yeah, agreed. Um... What's your take on the on, on sort of the balance between the silly moments of the movie, sort of the lighthearted moments, and the truly uh, fight, you know, jump scare, fighting, <laughs> yeah. violent part of the movies? What, what, talk to me about that. Oh man, when you when you look at this movie, um, it's you know I, I I mentioned this as one of my favorite Christmas movies, but really this is a this is definitely a terrifying movie. There are way more uh, jump scares in this movie and hor- you know horrifying spots in here. There's some gore too. I mean, with that kitchen scene with Billy's mom and those gremlins, 
I mean, that was straight out of a horror movie, man. They, she microwaves one of them, and it proceeds to explode inside the microwave. She I ends know, up. Another really good example of that is the classroom. That whole oh, yeah. sequence where the one where the one gremlin is underneath the projector, and like you don't see it, but you know, but you when Glenn Turman, who plays the teacher, uh, tries to bait it with a candy bar, and it you know, and he sticks his hand in there. It's, it's one of those classic horror memes where you're just like, please don't stick your hand in there. You're going to yeah. get killed. This movie is clearly, clearly a horror movie. I I, I class it uh, as a horror movie. Um, as it is, there are some comedic elements to it, but really, there's it's it's kind of on the side because you know not only do they do a great job of scaring you with the creatures themselves, which you, that classroom uh, moment that you're talking about there, I think is one, the, one of the first times we kind of see what a gremlin looks like. And I could just imagine everybody who'd watched this for the first time, just, oh my gosh, what the heck is it? And then you see the hand kind of come up, and I think it grabs an apple or something. And just not knowing what you're getting into in this, I mean, it'd scare the pants off of you. It'd feel like a creature flick, which it obviously is, but you know, Christmas movie second. The Gremlins, I think, work so much more when you don't see them. When they are the unknown, hidden terror in a situation. I think, I mean, you know, we we talked about this with Paranormal Activity and some of the other horror movies that, you know, I think Gremlins actually does a really, really good job of, um, of building suspense in a scene. You know, mm-hmm. you you really do like you know that there is a hidden terror. Um, you know, it, it, it's like it's like the movie uh, Alien. You know, you know it's it's in there somewhere, and it gets and those scenes like in the kitchen or in the classroom feel very claustrophobic. You know, <laughs> so for something that that that's really aimed at at, at kids, um, you know, uh, yeah, for, for a horror movie, and this was not exactly you know a totally adult fare. This was definitely aimed at like you know a, a wide array of people. Um, I think they really took in uh, Joe Dante does a really really good job here of building suspense, you know, and, and that feeling of claustrophobia in these scenes. I mean, these weren't this wasn't just chaos. Yeah, uh, let me. There's a lot of that, but I think that you know there are definitely um, there are definitely moments of sheer terror and dread. Absolutely, there is. Um... I was watching a few reviews prior to getting on here and, and just touching up on some of the stuff I, I definitely, you know, wanted to mention. Um, the first version, I don't know if you saw this in anything that you read or if, or whatnot, but uh, the first version, supposedly Billy's mom gets killed by the gremlins, all right? Now, you know that whole scene when Billy, mom, or Billy comes home and he rescues his mom after she's getting attacked in the tree? Supposedly he comes home and... His mom's head is rolled down the stairs. Imagine that. <laughs> well, they yeah, obviously that, that, cut that from the script. <laughs> yeah. They, 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 well, they wouldn't have been aiming that at children then. Um, yeah. They ate Billy's dog also in the, one of the first versions of the script. They didn't hang him from the lights. They they ate his dog. Um, so maybe that's where the fried chicken came in. Uh, they probably said, oh, let's go ahead and just give him a bucket of fried chicken instead. Uh, so, but yeah, yeah. they it, absolutely, I, I, my feeling to this was actually that, and I, I think I heard that the, the, um, the director, Dante, 
was not actually very pleased about the whole merchandising of this movie. Now, it was a still Spielberg flick, so I, you know, where he had his hands in it, so I'm sure that was aimed. Uh, that was one of the aims of it after everything got rolling. But I, from what I understand, Dante didn't like the merchandising effect of this movie. He didn't like the plush toys. He didn't like any of that stuff, um, which kind of you know lends credence to the fact of what the first treatment of this movie was with all that you know all the additional gore and stuff but uh but yeah afterwards you could tell it was definitely a merchandising machine for the kids uh you remember the first picture i showed you when you when we talked about this right no i don't the i went downstairs and grabbed that little book with the record in it the gremlins book that you got at burger king i think it's at burger king at least that's what i uh, but you get the book, and you had the 45 record in it, so you could play the record on your little record player and read the book along with it. So and I had had t- scores of Gremlin stuff. Okay, um, one last thing I want to talk about with this movie, um, and then yeah, if there's anything you want to add, I think you feel like you know needs mentioning before we move on to the new batch. Uh, I think we would be remiss without talking about Phoebe Case and her boobs, um, <laughs> which are very much hidden in this movie. I mean, she's, she's I remember topless. her from, uh, you know, from from the movie where she's topless, and you know, and right before that, she's like, "I'm gonna toss my cookies." I remember. Phoebe, <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a crush on Phoebe Cates when I was a kid. Oh she, she man, was, she, was quite, she was quite the hot number back in. Was the it day. Fa- Fast Times at Ridgem- Ridgemont High? Is that the one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know. He's trying to get with her the whole movie, and finally, like, they're in the hotel, and she fucking throws up. <laughs> yeah, she. Okay, let's let's talk about let let's talk about that totally unnecessary story because I think that plays a big part in our next uh, in in part two that we're going to get to. Um, yeah, that's why that's why I wanted to segue off of Phoebe Cates. Uh, what you know, what she adds to the movie, if anything, if she. She, she, in my opinion, I thought she added to the bleakness. And of course, when she tells the story of how her dad dies at Christmas, you know, it definitely, it definitely lends itself to, you know, if you if you lift back the veneer of this small town USA, there's a lot, there, there's a lot of decay. You know, there's a lot of sadness, and and I, and, and it came out in that character. Um, part two's a little one note, you know. Yeah, okay. but you know, and, but I tell you what, she was also. I, I also found the scene where she's sort of trying to deal with the gremlins in the bar, and she, you know, and she starts attacking them with with the with the Kodak camera. Very. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's know, got the, I, got the I, old I flash cubes. I, I would I would give her character a B minus. Uh, but but Phoebe Cates in her boobs. Talk to me about her. Oh, uh, Phoebe Cates. You know, I'm honestly. The two roles of that, well, three, I guess. Uh, well, no, two. I'm, I'm familiar with her as Kate in the Gremlins franchise, and I'm familiar with her in uh, Drop Dead Fred. And seriously, that's about as far as I go with Phoebe Cates. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, the the whole her character obviously in this one, very, you know, just sad. It's almost, a, you know, there's a sadness, but. She's helping Billy out a little bit, so that that kind of you know, I I give her a thumbs up for that, I guess. But you know the whole that whole monologue scene, uh, in the bank, you know, one would say that that could be complete. Could you imagine what her character would have been like, or would have changed things if that whole 
what was the point of the scene other than just to make her look like she had like the most horrible life? Um, <laughs> you know, I personally, what I took from this movie that resonated with me the most uh, as a kid was that particular story. And for something that really had no nothing to do with the plot of this, it had nothing to do with the plot, as far as I know. It never came back into the movie. You know, it's not like her dad was alive and helped save Billy and her at the end of the movie or anything like that. Um, for surprise, I didn't die. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it it just felt that that story scared the living daylights out of me and. I, every Christmas time, that that whole story goes through my head, and I wonder if somebody's actually doing that and is risking their lives of going up. Now, for those that are listening, Phoebe Kate tell uh, Kate she tells this story about how her dad climbed up on a chimney Christmas Eve um, to to go in pretend he's sent pretend he's Santa, uh, and he slips, breaks his neck, and dies in the chimney, and he's stuck in the chimney for like days, and I mean. They end up finding him like days later because not because you know you know they accidentally stumble upon him. It's because of the smell. Then they're like, well, what, "Where is that coming from?" And they find out that her dad's stuck in the chimney, and that's like the scariest Christmas story I've ever been I've ever heard. Served no purpose for the plot of this movie in any way, as far as I know, other than just to make her look like she had a horrible, horrible childhood. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. I mean, other than, again, you know, when you lift the veneer of small-town USA, you find crap. Sort of an editorial on on small-town America. Yeah, I don't know what that was supposed to add to the story. I'll tell you what, it definitely kills the momentum because they really do. It's like... It feels like filler. monologue. It, It just feels like filler to me. When I first saw it, I was like, well, you know, I don't understand the point of this. I mean, they're they're gathering their thoughts in this bank. Um, I, I wonder about it because they end up running into, there's a deleted scene where they ran, run into Judge, Judge Reinhold in the, uh, um, in, in the bank. He's locked himself in the vault, but they totally took that scene out. So I don't know if they just thought, well, we need to keep something from this, from the bank. And they went with that. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it's, <laughs> I just, it, it just feels like she's been crapped on. So Sean Comer gets the line of the night, and then we're gonna we're gonna move on here. Um, <laughs> it made me wonder: with a life like yours, how are you not a stripper? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, Jesse. Last word on Gremlins. A- anything left unsaid? Uh, you know, do you want to talk at all of any more about you know the fact that it takes place at Christmas time when it could have taken place at any time, to- any other time in the world? Um, just, uh, give me the last word here. Oh, uh, just some short facts when I was doing my research and watching the movie. Uh, Mogwai, Mogwai is, is, uh, synonymous with the word demon in Cantonese. So that's kind of where the, the, I'm guessing that's where they got the, uh, word Mogwai from. Um, but as for the movie itself, I want to, I want to point out a couple things. Murray Futterman. We talked about Murray Futterman, the the guy that uh, supposedly had fought, or he, he he mentions the Gremlins. He mentions Gremlins a couple times throughout the movie. He he is when they jump in the uh, end loader or whatever it is, the tractor, the plow, and they basically run him in 
run into his house, and you you were left to think that him and his wife are dead because they run it in there, and the last thing you see is them with their hands in the air and the lights of the plow coming right at them. But uh, it, it's mentioned in there that he, he says uh, he just seems like a crazy old coot, and he he fought the grim or the things in in World War II that made the planes go down with, were the gremlins. Um, I just want to bring that up because we're going to touch on that here in a little bit. Um, but as for a movie, uh, you know, as a as a whole, it's again I I classify it in the horror genre on the in the horror genre, a lot of suspense, a lot of terror in it, um, a good bit of dark humor. Uh, great '80s movie though. I mean, when I think of '80s movies, this is one of the one of the prominent ones that come right to mind, um, and it's great for both Halloween and Christmas. It's almost like that last movie. You, if you're a hollow, if you're a person that loves watching horror movies around Halloween, this is the one that you kind of end it with to get yourself ready for the holiday season. Fits right in there, um, but that's that's kind of that's kind of all I had on it. Okay, um, BB's story about how her dad dies and everything is lampooned in the, the sequel to this movie, which uh, it, 1990s. Joe Dante directed uh, again the Gremlins to the new batch, and uh, let me let me say something about this first. I think in order to truly appreciate this movie, you kind of have to know going in, much like Scream Four, there's a self awareness going on with with the uh, with this movie. It's Gremlins Two is a parody of sequels. <laughs> and it, it, in many cases, it breaks the fourth wall. And I, and I have to give Benjamin Cologne, if you're listening out there, I want to thank him again for his wonderful title card art. I actually I should have uploaded it as a picture of this, but I, I wanted something uh, more reflective of the holiday. So the next next title card, I promise, will be will be in the podcast. My my goof there. But um, I was expecting something from Gremlins from the first Gremlins. To, again, to reflect the holiday, since that was sort of the theme of the show, and you know, Ben Ben has, such, has got, got such a great imagination and uh, an ability to sort of take from these franchises that we're talking about an element and put his own twist on it. Um, hopefully, I get the website right. I believe it's soulxo.com. Check out more of his art. But uh, Benjamin, when when he asked me, you know, hey, are you still doing Gremlins? I said, yes, yeah, me and Jesse. You know, and what he does is he, you know, he, he puts us in in those movies in his pictures, mm-hmm. and um, he he took he went with Gremlins two, which I hadn't watched it yet when when the picture came out. So at first I didn't get it. You know, <laughs> he didn't do anything with Gremlins one. I I'd forgotten about the Uncle Fred character. So I, I forgot, so I didn't know who I was supposed to be, and he's got the gremlin there on the couch, and I'm like, oh, okay, he kind of went with a Johnny Carson thing here. Um, that's great. I mean, it, look, I will never say he does bad work. He never does bad work. It always looks good. Oh yeah. Sometimes I don't get what he's going for, um, and frankly, nothing will ever be as good as this Dark Knight one. But, <laughs> but I digress. Um, so. I wasn't sure what he was going for here, and then I just finished watching the new batch. Like, oh, I'm Uncle Fred. Okay, I get it now. And you're Long Duck Don with the camera. Yes, yes. Um, automobile, automobile. I was. Uh, that's when I first when I watched it again today. I was trying to figure. I was in the same boat as you. I was trying to figure out who, which character am I? I cannot remember 
who the heck runs around with a camera? And then uh, immediately, as soon as I saw him, I was like, that's me. I get it now. But yeah, wonderful work. You know what I was worried about? I shouldn't say worried about. I was If he would have went with Gremlins 1, the only thing that popped into my mind was the movie poster where, where Billy has uh, his backpack and he's kind of looking over his shoulder and Gizmo's kind of peeking out of the backpack. I was like, man, am I going to be Gizmo or am I going to be Billy? And <laughs> if I was Gizmo, <laughs> I would have loved to see how that would have turned out. <laughs> now, knowing Benjamin... Especially if this was if look if Sean were on the show tonight, uh, Sean would have been the gremlin and I would have been Mr. Futterman, as I'm being run over by the tractor. <laughs> I know how you are, Benjamin. Um, <laughs> I'll never, I'll never forgive you for making me Robin. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, love you, Benjamin. But yeah, so I so um, at first I didn't get it, and then I realized, okay, now you're Long Duck Don, um, of course, from uh, what is it, Sixteen Candles? Sixteen Candles, no. yeah. I is, think it is. It I, I, I think if that's if that's the same guy that does the automobile, and and uh, that's his. My wife quotes that to this day. Um, I'm pretty certain that that's the guy that's laying. I'm pretty sure it's Sixteen Candles. If I'm wrong, somebody will correct us. I'm actually looking it up now. Long Duck Don. Um, Pretty in pink? Uh, well, that's, uh, no, it wasn't pretty in pink. Okay, it's um, it's one of those Molly Ringwald okay, movies, no, it's, right? It's the Sixteen Candles. Okay, good. Okay, glad we got that. <laughs> Very important <laughs> segment of the show. It is. Damn it, we're talking eighties. We got to get it right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so he's playing a racist Asian stereotype, <laughs> and I'm Uncle Fred. Um, and, and you know, and then and I'm trying to like like why is the why is the gremlin? Wearing glasses. Oh, that's because yeah. of, you know, yeah. the, big, the big hook with the new batch was that this, this bunch of gremlins gets into the laboratory with Saruman and um, Christopher yes. Lee. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, they start, and they start drinking the different concoctions. And so you've got a spider one and you've got an electric one, um, who I think they should have brought back that gremlin, and he would have been a, done a better job of being Electro than Jamie Foxx. In any case, um, I shouldn't say that. I, I defended Jamie Foxx in that movie. And it you doesn't did. matter. It's all, going to, it's, it's all going away now anyway. Um, hmm. Marvel said, get your Andrew Garfield and your parkour and your skateboarding out of here. Um, so that's a different podcast. In any case, uh, so, so you have all these different... And then the one of them drinks the potion and he turns into Tony Randall. Got it. Now I understand. But yeah. Gremlins 2, the new batch, is totally a parody. It's a self-aware parody of the movie itself and and sequels in general. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about first, and I, I didn't, and I wanted to make sure we got to this, but I didn't want to talk about it with the first movie. Um, a quick, quick, quick plot summary. Uh, we move to New York City, where Billy is working for um, Clamp. Who created this smart building, uh, this, this technological wonder for the for 1990? One would say and he overshot. He he overshot. He should have started out small, like Steve Jobs. Maybe started with a phone first, but he just decided to do a smart building. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so Billy is like like an architect in you know within the you know this this it's kind of like a Donald Trump sort of deal where he just owns a bunch of different things, and one of the things he he has is this architecture firm. 
Um, and so uh, Billy is working there, and, and and he's engaged to Phoebe Cates and her boobs, and she's uh and she and she leads tours around the building. Um, the, it, it opens with them trying to get the the old Chinese man, Mr. Wing, the grandpa, to sell his shop so they can build something through you know through wherever he li- he lives, and he won't do it. And he ends up dying, um, and in the midst of him dying, uh, Gizmo is in the rubble. Um, he is then uh, brought to uh, Christopher Lee's lab, and in the midst of trying to uh, do experiments on him, uh, Billy finds out that he's there, and he rescues him. Um, hilarity happens. <laughs> uh, Gizmo ends up getting wet. He spawns. Phoebe Cates brings home the wrong Mugwai, which how do you miss it? You know, crazy Gizmo, eyes. Gizmo's eyes work, and she brings home the cross-eyed one. <laughs> but anyway, um, so so uh, that well, well, you know, um, Gizmo spawns a bunch of, of Mugwai. She brings home the wrong one. They come back. Um, Billy's trying to warn everyone and, uh, of uh, the, the terror that is, that is going to come. And, of course, they do in the best scene of the movie, by the way. And this is what I'm getting to. Uh, Billy is trying to explain to the security the rules of the, of the Mugwai and, ha- you know, and how gremlins come to be and what terror the gremlins will bring. And, of course, they're all laughing at him. <laughs> yeah. And... And, and, and I'm going to stop the plot summary there because the rest of it is just them trying to kill the gremlins. You know, the gremlins multiply; they they mutate with the, with the potions, and then it's 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 the same plot as the last movie. It's trying to kill the the stupid uh, gremlins before they destroy humanity. Okay, second verse, same as the first. The thing I want to focus on right now is that scene where Billy is trying to explain. And, and, and just let me first say that if you're ever trying to tell people about some odd thing that's happening, just get right to the fucking point. Monsters <laughs> are in the building. <laughs> Terrifying, sharp-clawed monsters that will eat your face are in the building, and you got to kill them. We need sunlight and lots of it. That's all anyone needed to know. Stop telling backstory. This is why in those movies they start to drag you away to the funny bomb because you sound like a maniac. Just mm-hmm. cut to the chase. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's explaining to the security people what the rules are. Of course, the rules are don't get them wet. They'll multiply. Um, don't, uh, don't shine bright light or sunlight on them. That'll kill them. And don't feed them after midnight. This is the tricky one. <laughs> and, I've, and I've always gotten stuck on this, and I'm really happy that they made a, they, they really made a meal out of it. Oh, in, did they ever? Yes. Is <laughs> the idea of don't feed them after midnight. Theoretically, it is perpetually always after midnight. That's right. And, and, at what point are you supposed to feed the thing? Do, are you not supposed to feed it at all? And that's really the implied rule, never feed these fucking things. And if that's the case, how do they exist? I need answers here. Because the not feeding after midnight thing made no sense. It never made any sense. Dude, dude, before I watched a um, Cisco and Ebert from 1984, and this same argument was made immediately after they had seen the film. So it's 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 not like it's uh, 
it's it definitely a conundrum. We'll just put it that way because immediately as they're <laughs> reviewing it, they're they're talking about it. So yes, from the first one, this question has been going around for at least what are we talking about? Six years, and now we have the time for Billy to say it again, and he's telling the rules to these people. and And I know I interrupted you, so go ahead and please continue. So, oh no, no, I, I, you're okay to keep going. You didn't interrupt. I, I stopped. But yeah, he's trying to explain to him like if you, you know if you feed him after midnight, they'll go into cocoons, and the one guy's like, "Well, sure. Before you go into a cocoon, you want a snack." <laughs> But but I mean that that that's what I want to talk about how how the not feeding after midnight thing is never is so inconsistent. I mean they're making fun of Billy. They're like, well, what if you eat something before midnight? <laughs> oh <laughs> like, well, this this it gets stuck it, in your teeth and then you finish it afterwards. What if you what if you what if you're in an airplane? <laughs> if you cross time zones. That is it is it is the lead up to one of the greatest scenes of this movie, and that is. I mean, just like you had mentioned, this movie is so self-aware. Uh, so the one guy sitting there at his at his at his seat in the security office, uh, he he brings up the whole midnight question. He says, "Well, obviously, if it's you know it's midnight, it's after midnight somewhere," and immediately through the security panel comes. Uh, this gremlin and jumps up and proceeds to bite his face. All right. Now you got to put yourself, obviously who's writing this, they're totally being self-aware here because the whole crux of that argument is just like, screw you. We're gremlins. And not only do they bite him in the face or on the neck or whatever, they stop in, in mid in, in mid attack. The gremlin stops he balls up his three clawed fist and punches the guy right in the face. Now, if that that's just their way of dealing with that question, is the fact that there's like screw you, like, boom. I think if you slow it down and you put the captions on, what the gremlin is saying is "fuck you." It's magic. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That is right. Oh, they that that is one of the most self-aware parts of this movie is the fact that you know they they totally address that question, and they're just like, we don't give a shit. We're gremlins, and you just roll with it. And the fact that they didn't eat this guy, they had to punch him. That's what cracked <laughs> me up when I saw this. They actually had to punch him in the face and lay him out. Oh, it was that was a classic part of this movie. I don't know what your thoughts are, you know, as to whether you th you think this movie held up or was actually enjoyable. But to me, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I remember watching it for the first time in many years, probably since the 90s. Um, I think it was either last year or the year before um, with my daughter. And for this movie is definitely different. You'd said this earlier, totally different from the first one. And I think way more kid friendly so much more yeah. kid friendly I, I did you have any of the kids in the room when you watched this one no um i actually this part of the reason why we went to 9 30 tonight instead of nine o'clock was i hadn't gotten a chance to watch it um so i tried to watch it last night after uh we recorded the WrestleCast and um the hobbit the battle of the five armies review currently up now 
featuring host of the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, Robert Winfrey, and Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, Friday nights at 9 o'clock here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. Uh, the, ba- the Hobbit, the Battle of Five Armies movie review, currently in the archives, waiting for you to download. Um, and, in any case, and plug. <laughs> and plug. Um, smooth like butter. Um, mm-hmm. after, we, after we were done doing all that, I tried to stay up to watch it, and you know, I'm working these 12-hour days now um, with the hot nurses and the concrete cops, mm-hmm. and I I get home and I'm good for about an hour and I'm passing out. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, well, um, I, I didn't make it. So I came home tonight and I'm like, okay, I gotta get this. I gotta get this down. And I, I, I that's how I'm gonna answer you. When we finally get to the Gremlins, the movie is a lot of fun. Yeah. But. This is one of those movies where the gremlins made it fun, the self-referential humor made it fun, the the um, the the parodying of sequels. You know, for example, Leonard Maltin sort of breaking the fourth wall and doing a video review of the first Gremlins and then being attacked by the gremlins. gremlins. Yep. (laughs) And there, like that, there are so many. There's so many stars in this one too. I mean, uh, people. But, yeah, hang on one second. But getting there was a chore. I found okay. myself fast forwarding. Now, I, no, no, no. Granted, some of this was I was fast forwarding through the movie because I was trying to get it. I was trying to get the essential plot elements finished and watched so that we could talk about them before this podcast tonight. Um, and I, you know, and I started at about seven thirty. But there was definitely a part of it where. You know, there's a character in the movie uh, who's Billy's boss, and outside of the initial scene uh, that you know where, where she's introduced, um, you know, and she's like, you know, Billy, she's trying to give him instruction and tell him do this, do that, and he's arguing with her like an idiot, and he's like, I don't like your attitude. Yeah. Um, you know, other than that one scene, she's really intolerable through most of this movie, and I don't give a shit that she decides that she wants to sleep with him about midway through. The other character who was a real chore to deal with is um, Robert Picardo's uh, Forster, the uh, the <laughs> chief of security who ends up yeah. doing it with a gremlin at the end of the movie, I guess. <laughs> hey, our um, last remaining gremlin, by the way, he that one is the survivor. So there could definitely yeah. be some offspring. Yeah, I found I you know I found his character to be really annoying too. And I'm like, so the scenes that were dealing with them and this sort of retarded subplot of Phoebe Cates, you know, not trusting Billy with his boss who's coming on to him, like I you know, and then the introduction of the Futtermans who you thought were dead <laughs> from the last movie. I'm like, this is one of those deals where I'm like, can we just get rid of all the human characters and follow the life and times of the Gremlins? They were much more interesting. Like when they when they created the Tony Randall. <laughs> with oh, yeah. Tony Randall someone, I was good with just him. <laughs> like, I wanted, you know, we were talking last night about The Hobbit. Like, we we want more Smaug. I want more Tony Randall. This is definitely, this movie has a, a case of more dinosaurs, for sure. Um, I mean, it, the, the point uh, that it felt like they were trying to get is that we, we kind of gave you some gremlins in the, Past that had some personality. Now we're going to give you a ton of different. Not only going to look 
that they're going to look different, but they're going to have you know crazy personalities. Just starting with the Mogwai at the beginning of this movie that popped off. This is some of the ugliest fucking Mogwai I've ever seen in my entire life. Where the the ones <laughs> that got crazy eyes, and then you got the one that looks like a damn mobster, and then uh, it just some. Ugh, just creepy looking, um, but they, you know, obviously had to one up themselves from the last one and give you tons of tons of tons of different gremlins. You know, the, you mentioned the whole getting into the genetics lab, and we got electro gremlin, we got spider gremlin, we got fucking vegetable spawn gremlin that fucking started growing <laughs> vegetables on its face, and uh, but of course, you know, we also got to introduce the fact that you know it's the gremlins in the big city. Um. Well, they didn't do anything with it. Like, look, I know everyone hates the uh, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie, but at least the saving grace of that one movie is you got to see Godzilla fuck up New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the fun of having monsters is you want those monsters to tear apart the city. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie, and I, you know, and, and the thing with it is, is that, and this is the one one of the criticisms I have of it, is they spent a good couple of minutes building up the Bat Gremlin, which, by the way, very very droll, very funny when the Bat Gremlin uh, crashes through the wall and it leaves a bat signal. <laughs> uh, some good stuff. Um, but they they made a point of giving him the uh, the sunblock, and they're like, "Well, where you're going," and then it doesn't do anything. It gets into a fight with a guy who's not even a New Yorker, as such. You know, he, he gets into a fight with with Mr. Futterman, and I'm like, really? That's that was the plan here? <laughs> <laughs> Just send him on out. He turned, yeah, and then he gets stuck in the cement, and then turned to a, and turned into a gargoyle. Uh, absolute yep. gag. But I mean, I think it's a way of the only, uh, you know, the only point of that was obviously to make um, Futterman realize that the Gremlins are back, and he's got to he's got to figure out a way to try and get into the. Uh, get into the building to help end the the gremlin attack that's going on, and of course, you know that's their way of bringing him in, him in. Obviously, um, I think they missed an opportunity to. What they should have had was the brain gremlin, Tony Randall, um, find a way to, you know, or, or, or somehow force Christopher Lee's character, Doctor Catheter. Doctor <laughs> Catheter. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> um, this movie didn't give a shit. I'll just—that's just about all you can say. It did not give a shit. No, uh, and I, I'm going to now—I'm going to now do my notes on a movie that doesn't give a shit. But I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> what they should have done was had the brain sort of make Doctor Catheter, you know, or have Doctor Catheter you know, voluntarily because he's crazy—he's mad. Don't you understand? You know, he—he's gone crazy. quite mad, you see, uh, and make more of a sunblock. And that mm-hmm. they gave it to all the gremlins. And the master plan is that they're going to break out of the building and attack New York. And so the tension of the movie should have really revolved around making sure they couldn't get out of the building. Unfortunately, and I think that's mentioned at one point, but it really gets lost in a lot of the silliness. You know, like they're doing a musical number at one point, and it's like, could we get through the dread? Nope, all right. <laughs> we're Hulk, gonna do Hogan. Comedy. Hulk Hogan makes an appearance and saves us from the yeah. gremlins. Another 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 breaking of the fourth wall. Well, the, it starts off that way. You know, they have the Warner Brothers logo, which you, you think you're getting a cartoon short, and it's mm-hmm. you know, and it's the classic Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny arguing over who gets to be the star of this picture, and then they go right into the Gremlins, the new batch. 
Uh, we got about 10 minutes left. I know Sean wants to come on for a little bit and talk. Um, I don't have a whole – I mean, again, they, they reference things from the first movie just to make fun of it, like Phoebe Cates' story about the dad dying. Like, oh. you know, don't question <laughs> President's Day or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Like, oh, we don't talk about this. But, yeah, this this movie was all about the gremlins, and I didn't care about any of the human characters this time around. And they missed an opportunity to really do something fun with the gremlins. And instead of, you know, it's a typical Hollywood. It, it, I felt like Vince McMahon wrote this. And it was like, why give us a good, solid movie when we can just make stupid humor? Oh, man. I hear you. I, you know, they obviously went in a different direction because they felt that they needed to gear, gear it down more towards kids. Um, you know, my... There's a couple things that I want to definitely just shortly bring up. The whole uh, – one of the things that I noticed was in the first movie we had to deal with uh, Billy's dad and his inventions. In this movie, we had to deal with this corporate tycoon and his dumbass inventions. And here we are laughing at poor Rand Peltzer who can't get his fucking ass off the ground in a good invention to save his – you know, the smokeless ashtray. We can't. We, we were laughing at him, and then we got this guy who's a billionaire, owns his own fucking building and cable company, and still can't get these fucking things right. Um, John Glover, as this tycoon, was probably the best, uh, the the best actor in this movie, in, in my opinion. I loved, I loved him as the, uh, I can't remember his name, Mister. Well, Mister Clamp. Um, also. Uh, you know, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when uh, Murray has one of the gremlins, I think it's Crazy Eyes, and he opens up the elevator shaft, all right? And the elevator shaft is completely empty. And <laughs> this, is, this is Murray Futterman's, uh, uh, his, his in, entailing with technology and, and, and encapsulated in one little scene. He opens an empty fucking elevator shaft, throws the gremlin in there, and proceeds to yell lobby like he's telling the elevator shaft where to take the fucking gremlin. <laughs> Not the elevator cab, the elevator shaft. He threw it down a shaft. Um, but when he throws it in there, he quickly yells uh, he quickly yells uh, oh crap. Um, he quickly yells lobby and it falls It falls to its death. But um, that's another one of my favorite. There's a lot of product placement. You'll see Reebok, Joke Cola. Uh, I don't know if you remember Joke Cola at all. Joke Cola makes an appearance. Um, I don't know if Penguins is an actual place, but that was ob- that was the ice cream shop the Mogwai first show up in. Um, but uh, you know, a, a fun romp, and I think it's fun for the kids. Uh, that's one of the reasons why. If I had when when we first watched it a couple years back, Kira was invested in this one. This year, I had Caleb and Colt on both my arms watching the movie. Way easier and way more palatable for the children. Um, as as they go around, so uh, I enjoyed the movie. I, I I asked a buddy of mine at work. I said, "Do you think it held up?" And I think as an adult, if you sit down and try and watch this movie by yourself, you're going to turn on something else. But if you got kids, uh, way way easier for the kids, and I think it's fun to watch with them. So uh, that's that's kind of all I have to say about it. All right. Um, that's really uh, all, all I have to add to, you know, look, Gremlins is a fun movie to watch around the holidays, you know, for the, you know, that alternative Christmas feel. Um, Gremlins 2 is a fun one to watch. If for no other reason, then it's also a best of the 80s. 
Yeah, you had long yeah. left on in there. You know, you 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 had over the top uh, technology that doesn't work. Um, the uh, you know you you've got bad New York accents, big hair. You know, it was really I I, I watched that with with sort of a nostalgic uh, a nostalgic eye for that era of uh, of culture and fashion and whatnot. So. I mean, look, ni- neither one is, is necessarily a bad movie. They're just very, very different. And um, with that, um, we're going to bring Sean out in just a moment. I do want to, um, once again, kind of go over, now I have it in front of me, I want to <laughs> go over some of the stuff we're going to be doing next year. Uh, I'm waiting on Jason Offit to give me a definitive date, either J- January 8th or January um uh, 22nd? Yeah. January 22nd, um, we're going to be doing either uh, Star Trek or Lethal Weapon, uh, depending on which date he gives me. So look for Star Trek and and Lethal Weapon in January. And then Sean's coming back in February. We're going to be looking at the two Fantastic Four movies. And we may just have to bring up the Roger Corman one, just just to to, make the point that the Roger Corman one shot for a quarter of the budget was still better than the ones put out by Fox. Um, we're also going to finish up the Rocky series, so Rocky 5 and 6. In March, we're going to do uh, Blade, and we're going to do the Crow series. Nice. Uh, in April, we're probably going to look uh, strictly at the, the Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy movies. There's five of them, so we're going to have to break that up over two shows. Uh, if there's an opportunity for a third show in April, we'll do Darkman. Um if not, we'll have to, we'll fit Darkman in somewhere else. But uh, in May, around the time that Age of Ultron's coming out, we're going to do the Iron Man trilogy, and then uh, we're going to do the Highlander movies. We'll do the Highlander TV series some other time. Um, you know, maybe when I don't have kids anymore. But living in that while. A long that was a long television show. Um, <laughs> But uh, but that's it. And, and then just newly announced today. I mean, granted, we're we're still in the middle of December 2014, but I can I can announce with surety that our um, our horror feature for uh, for Halloween October 2015 will be Jaws. And because there's four or five Jaws movies, it'll be it'll be broken up over two episodes. Uh, we'll probably have Winfrey on for that. So. You know, look for those movies for the first half of the year, and Jaws next next October. Uh, you know, we'll continue to have on the occasional guest. Uh, I want to continue to gear some of what we're picking towards what movies are coming out over the summer. So expect to also get the uh, the first three Terminator movies when Genesis comes out. Um, there's uh, I can't I know Jurassic World coming out this summer, uh, but unfortunately we've already done that. So uh, I'm not sure what else. Oh, the, the, there's a Fast and the Furious movie coming out too, but they've already covered it. So uh, you know, we'll see. Yep. Maybe we'll do Smoking the Bandit, <laughs> 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 do the old Cannonball runs, you know, instead of you know, and that'll be our fast, our dedication to the, to the Fast and the Furious. But uh, at this time, I want to bring on uh, my co-host, uh, my buddy here, who's been on hiatus. He's been. Uh, he's been living in the forest so that he could learn to live deliberately. He, of course, is Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Merry Christmas, everybody. Did you miss me? 
I did. Well, of course we did. <laughs> like we're sitting oh. here waiting for the audience to actually answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, tonight was actually the first time in a while I have even listened to the theme song. Uh you know, it, it kind of slipped in once or twice on my iPod while I was while I was on vacation, while I was on hiatus. But I purposely went away, wanting to kind of put the show out of my mind for a little while and concentrate on some other things. But and you guys have done uh, such an outstanding job while I've been gone. I almost uh, when it came time for me to start thinking about when I was going to get back to this, I I kind of wondered, well. Am I really going to be able to live up to the great job that Winfrey and Starcher and Teasley and everybody did? Um, but, you know, I decided I really started to kind of get the urge about a few weeks to three weeks ago when we decided to do Fantastic Four for my first episode back that I realized I do still want to do this. And I really badly want to do this. Uh, so much so, in fact, that a little bit of news number one. I'm actually coming back about four weeks earlier than I expected. I was talking to Jason Teasley, our good friend and co-host of the Rodlich and Broadcasting Network's flagship sports broadcast, uh, well, general sports broadcast, alongside Ground and Pound Radio, uh, his show being from the cheap seats, co-hosted by the venerable Jesse Starcher. And... Jason was noting that he's got a lot of things going on in the very near future. Good things. Lots of great, exciting things. But things that are going to take his attention away from podcasting. And he was talking about the show going on going on hiatus. And I thought, no, 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 no. You're mostly a football broadcast, and we're coming up on the, uh, on the raging, screaming, knee-to-towel climax of the NFL and NCAA seasons. <laughs> uh, we, we, we can't have you going away now. So... I got I got Jesse and Jason in the chat together immediately. I said, "What would you guys think if I think if I came back a little bit early and did just kind of an interim hosting run starting January 6th?" So starting then, I am going to be <laughs> for the second time in my life spontaneously filling in on a sports show. Uh, it's going to be me. It's going to be Jesse. It's going to be who knows who else talking the worlds of I imagine mostly football, but also some hockey, some basketball, maybe a little spring baseball news here and there. Uh, might throw in some MMA and boxing. I uh, never know what you're going to hear on From the Cheap Seats, and I'm I'm privileged. I, it's an uh, it's going to be an honor to be able to co-host it alongside you, Jess. Um, and then, in the meantime, I've got to get to what brings me to my second bit of news, and that is that... Rodlich and Broadcasting is going to be expanding in the very near future. Uh, for the longest time, since about since Mark and I started doing Long Road to Ruin, we've had just one dedicated Facebook page. But we're getting to the point to where some of our shows are really starting to build some serious followings up, and... I want to help us reach a bigger audience and hopefully start to build up a little bit of an actual community and have a chance to maybe do some new things to help entertain our listeners. And so um, in February, actually probably launching February 5th, the day I get back to Long Road to Ruin, we are going to be launching the Rivalich and Broadcasting Network website. I'm still fleshing out the details on that, but for the time being, it's going to include 
blogs. We're going to have full-fledged written content for the first time. It's going to have all the shows, all the podcasts from the Chief Seas, Ground and Pound Radio, source material, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, and, of course, Long Road to Ruin. And they're all going to be cataloged. All the back episodes are going to be right there on the website, one place to find them. Uh, you'll be able to provide us with feedback there. We're going to have entertainment news uh, and columns on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, basically, <laughs> I, I kind of want to make our own little our own little version of Nerdist, so to speak. Um, I want us to have a nice little catch-all for for everything under the sun. And that's kind of what I've been working on while I've been gone, is I've been really working on my marketing acumen, exploring some opportunities like advertising revenue for the podcast and for the site, how to better build an audience, how to better build our social presence. And, you know, obviously I couldn't do all of that and concentrate on the show at the same time. Uh, But once we get that going, it'll be pretty well supported by everybody, and I imagine it's going to be the kind of site that's really worthy of the amount of work that everybody puts into their own shows. And uh, Jesus fish, seems like there was one more thing I was going to throw. I was going to throw in there, but well, I'm excited. I'll tell you that much. That sounds like some. <laughs> that's going to be an awesome, awesome venture for sure. It's you know, it's, it's hard to believe that we've been. Um, that Mark and I started this show just a little bit over two years ago. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when we started the show, Ground and Pound Radio was al- was already a thing. Obviously, back then, it was co-hosted by both Mark and Jeff Harris. And now it's, it's very well taken care of by both Robert and Jeff. Um, and then, you know, along came Teasley and... We we said to him, hey, you want a podcast? Okay, yeah, here's a podcast. You rolled the dice so, on that one. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> Love you, T. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know what? He's uh, Jason is a great guy. He has got potential to spare. Um, I, I, I think sometimes we have more faith in him than he has in himself um, because oh, he really he, he really is extremely entertaining, and he's. He's, he's had to kind of learn, kind of take some lumps along the way, and maybe learn a couple things the hard way. But we we couldn't be prouder to have him around. Yeah, he's, um, you know, Jeff, on, on the show, uh, you know, I, I just put this in here. I mean, that show is uh, doing, you know, it's it's great in my opinion, just because of what he adds. I mean, it's it's uh, I'm I'm honored to be a co-host of that show for sure. Uh, from the cheap seats every Tuesday. Absolutely, and and then along the way, well, then Jesse, we gave you a show. Uh, we gave you a great venue to talk about comics. Uh, you came along with source material, which has been outstanding. It was such a privilege earlier to hear you and Ben and Teasley uh, all just both online and both online and off and on Facebook and kind of the aftermath. Um, talking about one of my favorite Batman stories of all time, The Killing Joke. And this April, I'm going to be extra exceptionally pleased uh, to be on the show to discuss the the comics that, that made me a comic fan. And that is the Jeff, the Jeff Johns run on Green Lantern. And 
you know, you guys are all putting so much effort into this with every single show that I want to do all that I can with my off-air talent, which is my knowledge of media and marketing and writing, to try to bring that to more and more people. Because when we started this, I kind of had this idea in mind that I sort of wanted our show to almost be something that would be worthy of, at the time, Channel Awesome, or as it was known then, That Guy With Glasses. They've they've since gotten a half-assed, thrown-together, redesigned website um, that that is still devoted exclusively to huffing Doug Walker's prong at every opportunity. <laughs> but I don't care. That's an I image. It like I see it. <laughs> You know, once once you once you've seen even from the outside looking in how the sausage is made. Oh God, sausage prong! I and Sean goes tap dancing across the minefield. Anyway, <laughs> um, but as time went on, I kind of realized that I get a little bit tired of the internet being overloaded with snark and with people who can't just embrace the things they like without feeling a need to attack the things they don't. And so, you know, I started looking to a lot of, sh- to a lot of uh, networks and communities like uh, Normal Boots, uh, Markiplier's YouTube fan base, uh, the, the Game Grumps, uh, Geek and Sundry, um, to kind of see, you know, I, I really want something positive to come out of the Internet geek community for a change. And that's what we're on the way to. And, you know, my ideal is I want to just tinker and try to help build this up to the point that one of these days I can just hand off something fully formed to somebody else and say, here, you run it. (laughs) You know, everything's basically already in place. But most importantly, um, I've I've missed this. I've I've missed having this time on third this time on Thursday nights, to just kick back, throw my sweatshirt on, have a beverage in front of me, or as the case would be right now, a caramel macchiato, a screwdriver, a Coke, and two bottles of water, (laughs) and just talk about movies, comics, games, and uh, otters, and donkeys, and Yogi Bear, and for fuck's sake, why have I never gotten my Yogi Bear versus the Coca-Cola Polar Bears episode of Death Battle? (laughs) Okay, um, I want to jump in here, and uh, I want to put Sean kind of on the spot as, as he is left to wonder who the fuck died and put me in demand of picking uh, all of the films we're going to talk about this year. But I'm going to. <laughs> um, so here's, here's, the, here's the second half of the year list, and they're in no particular order. They're just some st- stuff that I, uh, I want to make sure that, I, that we do this year. Uh, some of it was definitely inspired by what's coming out uh, in theaters. So, like I said, I may have to kind of play around with the dates. But here's here's the rough order of what we're going to be doing in the second half of 2015. Uh, the Mad Max trilogy. Woo-hoo. Feel free to react, Sean. <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm happy about that. I'm just hoping that they get the sequels up on Netflix by that time and that they do it without taking the first one down. Um. So we'll do that around the same time as Fury Road, uh, the aforementioned Terminator, um, Smokey I, and the I Bandit. Can't but, I can't help but notice you decided that you want to skip Rise of the Machines. 
I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> it does not exist. You son of a bitch, you know it happened. <laughs> Christian Bale, oh, good for you. Da, 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 da. It happened. So sometime around Fast 7, we'll do Smokey and the Bandit. Um, <laughs> since, <I don't, laughs> since there weren't there weren't three real Cannonball Run movies. Um, as I said before, in October we'll be doing Jaws. Um, I know this is this has been one on Sean's list, so we'll make sure we get the Mighty Ducks done. Yay! Um, well, uh, or, I want to do the Chronicles. Or, or it should really be called Hockey Does Not Begin to Remotely Work That Way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to do the Chronicles of Riddick this year. And um, we're going to try it again this year. Uh, and I, cause it, you know, because uh, unfortunately we were, we were supposed to do it, but then things changed and we weren't able to get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next year we'll do them back to back, and in both cases we'll have Sam Mercati on Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and then The Hobbit. Wait, 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 hang, hang on. You you skipped Lord of the Rings? I thought you yeah, were, I thought I, you were doing that while I was gone. Uh, there was a whole bunch of things that had to change once. Well, the pr- the problem was I initially thought I was working three to eleven, so at that point I, I you know everything came off the table and was like I I can't plan anything because I never know when I'm going to be home and who's going to be available, so, um, and then just as soon as I started the job they were like okay you're not working three to eleven anymore you're now going to work seven to seven, so you know, I could ha- so I could have at that point put some stuff back on the schedule, but, you know, trying to get my wife on here to do a podcast sometimes can be a little bit difficult. You know, like this week, they packed probably two weeks' worth of stuff into one week because for the next two weeks, she's going to be out of school, you know, Christmas vacation. Um, mm-hmm. So she's exhausted. Um, so I so I said, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted. I was like, I wanted to get this one done because, you know, because we had talked about it, but... I figured we'll save it for next year, and um, and then you know, uh, uh, Samer had actually contacted me. He was like, I he's like, I'm sad that I missed the Lord of the Rings one. And I'm like, you missed nothing. <laughs> we, we never did it. He was like, oh, then you got to make sure you include me next year. And I'm like, all right, you know, you're done. So I'm probably so not going to have. So Sam and I both, um, get to, both get to enjoy it. Yeah, we I both mean, get to join the show. You know, I, I, oh, cool! I, I plan, I plan stuff because you weren't going to be around. But with you back, I don't necessarily need to do that. <laughs> you know, and I can plan, I can plan for you to be on it. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, while while I was doing my little uh, Tony Stark in a cave in Afghanistan thing, um. <laughs> I, I thought you guys had already breezed through that, and I was kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, those are three of my all-time favorite movies, but, you know, not everything can go on hold while while I get my head together. So, you know, by all means, if i got to give that one up, I'll give that one up and just make sure I'm around for Harry Potter. Um, now it turns out I get to do both, which is Damn, I'm, good oh, because... Uh, I'm, there's, two more that I'm, there's two more that I'm adding if we get time to do them this year. Like you said, I haven't, right. I haven't got... I haven't, Okay, so the first one is the Oh God trilogy uh, with George Burns. Ooh, oh God, good, good, 1977. Good. Oh, oh God, book two, 1980. And then my personal favorite, just because of the title, Oh God, You Devil, 
I, sure I had we even thought of those. <laughs> sure, we could do the Ocean's trilogy, but why bother when we can do three movies with George Burns? No, and last, no, I, I, and we got. I don't want to do the Ocean's trilogy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, because um, I want to get it done on here uh, this year, uh, Porky's. Oh, how have we not done that yet? Because we don't spend how, a lot of time how, doing comedy. No, yeah, and you know, that's, <laughs> we just that's something we really do need to change, because when I think of stuff like, and granted, a lot of comedy franchises, for one reason or another, are not that, are not that great. Uh, I mean, American Pie got two movies in before it got really bad. Uh, the Hangover just photocopied itself twice. Um, Caddyshack 2 should have never been made. Ghostbusters 2 was miraculously almost as good as the first one. But somehow comedies just... I don't know why. They just don't seem to lend themselves that well to sequels. Well, except eventually... Eventually, you all are going to have to suck it up and listen to me fucking fanboy my little ass off, probably while wearing a New Jersey Devils hockey jersey, apologies to my beloved Coyotes, while I gush over how much I love the Jersey Anthology. The Jersey Anthology? Clerks, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jane, Silent Bob, okay. Strike Back. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't quite sure I knew what you were talking about. I got it. I'm with you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Didn't, didn't mean for that to sound too too officious or hipsterish. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, the, hey, the more I sound like I should be shotgunning a can of PBR, the more I feel like I should apologize. Um, I mean, those were somehow good, but even then, you it's hard to really call those direct sequels. Um, yeah, we may have to explore that when we start talking about more comedies, about why it is that there aren't that many that just stay funny over the course of three or four or five movies. And so, also, yeah, and you know, also, like I said, I, what we, I like... Oh, I was going to say, we, we've also had, at some point, maybe we got to do it in do it like a year or two from now. I've had some bizarre requests for various franchises. Um, like I, I've had like two or three people, some of them joking, some of them not so much, saying, "Oh, you got to do the Land Before Time movies." Oh wow! Yeah, you know all about ninety-seven or, or so of them. <laughs> despite my which, despite my wishes to the contrary, never. <laughs> Never ended with Land Before Time, Littlefoot trips and falls into the tar pit. <laughs> um, um, we've had those, and th- this one isn't a bizarre request, but I want to say it was, yeah, it was, it was bent. Uh, brought it up the other day, wanted to know if we'd ever thought about doing a show or two devoted to The Simpsons. And I thought about it, and I went, oh, I'd love to. There's so much there to talk about. One question. How exactly would we go about that? How how would we frame that? Yeah, that'd be a rough one. You got a lot of content there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm it, staying away from James Bond. I mean it's well, yeah, I mean there's the the only way I think we could really frame the Bond movies ever 
would be if we were maybe to every now and then uh, or do special edition podcasts that just devote to looking at each individual bond instead of going movie by movie. Right. Yeah, I, I think um, we'd have to break. But, I would assume we'd have to break it up by you know the Roger Moore ones, this one, that one. But um, well, well, yeah, yeah just, but, just, well, just to wrap it. But when you look at The Simpsons, though, you have a show that has been on for over twenty years that so many people have grown up with. But and it's true also that depending on who you ask, it started really going drastically downhill with no emergency break somewhere between about season seven and season 10. Mm -hmm. And then I've heard other people saying, well, but this last season was surprisingly really good. I mean, I would be open to that because I love it when we get a chance to talk about TV shows and I would love for us to maybe get to do a couple side projects where we do a few others. Uh, Mark, you mentioned... (laughs) Uh, you mentioned Highlander, <laughs> son of a bitch. I'm, you're not getting out of that. No. Here, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, but um, don't get me wrong. I feel genuinely bad about the fact that you're going to have to sit through the original cut of Highlander too, and uh, <laughs> make and uh, Mark. Let me make something very, very clear to you right now. Um. I will know if you cheat and try to watch the Renegade cut. I will find you, and your family will weep for what I do to you. If I have to sit through the original just to make a point about how drastically downhill this thing went in the first place, and then you turn around and get to watch the one that edits out the whole stupid alien planet subplot and actually manages to make some modicum of sense... <laughs> if I have to hurt, you are going to goddamn hurt with me. That's fine, sir. That's fine. All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> let, let's wrap this up. We'll be, on, we'll be on here. We'll be planning fucking movies for the next 20 years. So that, yeah, we have not finished an entire year of movies, in the, you know, ever. <laughs> We always we have a very we always have like this very grand plan for what we're gonna do and it never you know one of us ends up having to have a kid or go on a hiatus or whatever. Well, so, you know, we, we mostly we, we mostly did okay for the first year. We mostly did all right about the only one that we really left hanging and we've gotten questions about it off and on ever since was how you know I had to take off for a while because I was having money problems and then we never got to do Rocky five and six and. Tara, I know you're listening. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, yes, we mocked Rocky Four. Deal with it. <laughs> Live with it. And embrace the hatred. Um, and it's just kind of sat on the shelf because every time we've had something else we wanted to do and we never got around to getting those last two movies watched. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, this year, yeah, it just happened to be that uh, I needed to take two kind of extended breaks uh yeah mark you had you had another kid, you had work, you had vacations, but I think at this point everybody's batteries are fully charged up by now All right well, and as I told you off air this year we're not really planning a lot of vacations um you know we're kind of we're we're two thousand fifteen where is the year of the staycation we really want to you know stay home and not <laughs> not get all personal about it, but it's kind of 
and reinvest in 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 in, in our family and in the ho- in the home, get some bills yep. paid off, um, take advantage of the fact that we're gonna have a we'll have a full year of incomes coming in and not a portion of the year where my wife isn't working because she's on maternity leave. So um, mm-hmm. with that, you know, so with that, so look, I'm not going anywhere. Basically, is the point of all this. I'm not going anywhere. Sean's not going anywhere. So you know, we should. Nope, so nope, I, I, finally should got, be, I finally got my decade of issues sorted out. So. Um, you know, we should be, uh, we should, and uh, yeah, worst comes to worst, we'll always, we'll just have Jesse do it. <laughs> I will be proud. First off, I, you know, it was awesome coming on here and doing the debut tonight, but, uh, and I, you know, I've, I think one of the first shows that I've listened to, you know, coming onto the network was Long Road to Ruin. So, uh, I'm glad wow. you guys are back. Yeah. Uh, We're sorry. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are back, <laughs> uh, back together. It's going to, it's going to be an awesome year being able to listen to you guys do this show again. All right, I think it's a great way to end it. Uh, so uh, until 2015, again, January 8th, it'll either be Star Trek or Lethal Weapon, and then January 22nd will either be Star Trek or Lethal Weapon. See how I that think works. God made Jason, orange juice oh. so we could have something to pour vodka into. <laughs> Jason Offit, you writing book man, you. Call me. With that said, jiggity jing, hee haw, hee haw, Dominic the donkey, be well, be safe, and happy new year. Happy tree day, everybody.